Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This is the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour. Kane Pittman alongside Olga Nulic. As we are together every single Wednesday afternoon to wrap up last weekend's NBL. Two rounds to play. Maybe the chaos is starting to sort itself out a little bit, but there is still so much to get through. You know when the NBL decides they need to dish out a ladder predictor that things might still be a little bit crazy. We're going to get into that. We're going to talk about some of the big results and maybe a little bit of spice from the weekend. Thought it was a highly entertaining weekend of basketball. We've also got the Opals looking to punch their ticket to Paris later this week. You can watch that on ESPN. And the NBA trade deadline, under 48 hours away as we record this right now. First to the housekeeping, we do this every week. If you haven't done so yet, make sure you subscribe and turn the notifications on. So every single Wednesday when we drop this show or any other specials we have, you're going to know straight away it's free to do. And it does really help the show. If you want to get involved, hit either myself or Olgan up on social media and uh, drop a question, drop a thought. Tell us what you want us to talk about on this show and we'll continue to grow this. We appreciate it. And obviously, for everything Hoops Related, ESPN is where you want your TV or device and ESPN.com.au is where you're going to find all your latest news, stats and info. Olgan, I always throw to you first, but this time I'm giving you two options for how we can start this podcast. We want to talk about the Illawarra Hawks who had a massive win on the weekend to somewhat solidify their place in the top four, top six. Or do you want to talk about the New Zealand Breakers who on one hand had a big time win, on the other had a devastating injury? Let me talk Breakers because okay. I have I have a different direction. I think I want to go with the Hawks, um, which I want to discuss with you shortly. Uh, but the Breakers are... So the win over Perth was huge. That absolutely kept their playing hopes alive. Um, they looked really, really good. Even with Anthony Lamb going down at the end of the first quarter, I thought they looked really good. I, I was speaking to some people this week after that game, and I I think that Parker Jackson Cartwright, I don't, he's not the best player in the league, right? That's still Bryce Cotton. He might be the most feared player. Sick. He's someone who I don't know how you stop. It, it's almost like, He's going to get what he wants to an extent, and you sort of just have to hope. You can scheme against Bryce and make things super difficult. Scheming against Parker Jackson Cartwright because of his like athletic ability is just very, very difficult to do. And so to have someone like him, Silent Cheatham is like finding his feet. I think Will McDowell White has, has dusted off a lot of that rust. They're a team that even without Anthony Lamb, who I'm told suffered a ruptured left Achilles, is obviously out for a remainder of this season and will obviously have a, a lengthy... Uh, situation on the sideline the breakers are a team that i think are still built to compete in the playoffs if if i'm if, if they make the plan and get through the plane and get to a semi-final series even without anthony lamb because they have Cheatham, delaney mcdowell white jackson cartwright isaiah liafa matas rupstavichis these are all like very legitimate pieces that's not a team i want to play in the semis and so they still have to make it in but i think that i think their run home is realistic enough for me to think that they will make the play in. And if they, they do, I think they're the most poised to make some noise. That is a very, very fascinating way to start this podcast. You are just bringing the strong stuff right off the top. Parker Jackson, Kyra, maybe the most feared player in the league. I find that fascinating. Uh, let's focus on, we're gonna, we can go back and talk about this game a little bit. Um, but yeah. Let's talk about the run home. Because I'm curious that you say that you think the run home could help the breakers. Because I'm looking at it. And I'm going two doubles. And again, we've discussed it all season long. This comes all the way back. When you miss all these games because you go overseas at the start of the year, you know mm-hmm. you're going to be paying it back at some point. And the two teams that they're going to play, two teams that could potentially be in the mix, they could jump. And it starts this Friday night against Illawarra. That is, at this point in time, that has to be seen as the game of the season so far with the importance. And we're going to continue to see matchups really ramp up. Then they have to come to John Kane Arena and play Melbourne United. And then if you want to get to next weekend, you get Brisbane 
that might be a game where whoever wins makes the play-in. And then even if you don't get that, you have to go to Adelaide on the last day of the regular season, and that might be a win-and-get-in scenario. So why do you say that you think the run home helps them? Because I'm looking at that, and if they make it, they absolutely deserve it, particularly after losing Anthony Lamb on the weekend. But just on paper, I look at it and I go, that is a daunting run home, and the challenge is right in front of them. So there's a lot on the line, obviously. All, All but one of those games can be seen as a double win of a sort. We don't know if that's going to be the case with the Adelaide game at the end there, but the Illawarra game coming up absolutely is. The Melbourne one, not so much. And then the one against Brisbane could very well be the decider between which one of those two teams makes yeah. the top six. In my mind, though, I, I think they go into every one of these games, except for that Melbourne game, as the team that should be favoured to win it. As in, I think they're the team that is playing the sort of basketball and they have the talent that they go into that game as like the odds on favorite to win that game. And I think that, I think they only need to win two of four, two of their last four to get in because their percentage is relatively healthy. Yeah. And so I think if they get the 13 wins, then they're safe. And so if they, getting this one against Illawarra is huge. I, I, I think I would have said the same thing about getting the one over Perth. Like getting that win over Perth just set them up really nicely. It meant that they weren't completely on the back foot. Getting that win over Illawarra puts them very much back on the front foot as far as having a, a really good circumstance of controlling your own their own destiny in that situation. I think the I think it's a good run home because I think I favor them going into most of those games. And the fact that they only I think they only need two of them makes me pretty confident that New Zealand's gonna be in an okay place. Yeah, I think, you know, we've looked at it and I obviously don't have the numbers of every team on the second game of those travel doubles but for them it's there's an extra obstacle as well obviously with the travel that they have to come through and i just wonder over the balance of those four games they were awesome uh, withstanding the loss of lamb and i don't know whether the players knew i know on the broadcast i was talking about an ankle is he going to come back on the floor now now that we understand what it is i get the sense that the new zealand medical team probably knew what was going on and it wasn't good and they knew right away and, and anthony lamb didn't look too happy there on the sidelines but were the players completely aware straight away? Did they just ride through this game and then they have the, the, the challenge of now going, okay, we now we've got four games. We've got four games without this guy. And we've discussed it with teams like Tasmania before, Melbourne when they've lost players out of the lineup, other teams. I, I don't... Uh, Park Jackson Carrard was unbelievable on the weekend and he, he got the better of the, the... They weren't directly matched up, but he got the better of the two explosive offensive guards when it came to Bryce Cotton or PJC. But now you're coming up against these other teams in Melbourne United. What are you going to see in the guard matchup there? And if there is a game or two where Parker Jackson Carrot can't completely take over this game, now you're looking at guys that on paper, in theory, yes, they can take over a game because we've seen it before, but we haven't seen it night in, night out. So I just think it is a it is a massive challenge. And I don't, also don't want to overlook how devastating this loss is for this team. Sometimes I think we can qu- too quickly go, okay, but they still won. They still won. You're talking about a guy that is probably going to be all NBL first team, was in the mix for MVP. He had to be in the mix. Like, this isn't some insignificant loss. Yeah, and I I, I agree, obviously, to that extent. This is your... You can't just automatically and just magically replace 20 points a game. Yeah. Right? He's giving you 20 points a game. He's also like a servant breaker. Like, he's someone who, when maybe things get stagnant, maybe the offense isn't flowing, you can throw it into him. Um, the the reason why it's like it's, I think not as devastating as perhaps losing someone else would be is that they I think they're pretty okay in that position, like positionally I think they can fill the spot. They of, of course can't fill it to the same extent, like with the same production or quality or output, but I think they can they can fill it enough to keep them really functional. And because a lot of what they do is with Parker Jackson Cartwright with the ball in his hands, it's with Will McDowell with the ball in his hands. They're still a super heavy pick and roll team. That's just like that's their bread and butter. And so if they can continue to lean into that stuff, if if McDowell White can continue to trend upwards, if Rukovicius can continue to trend upwards, and Zion and Cheatham, who I think is like the key to everything, <laughs> then I think they're still they're still going to make noise. Whether they I, obviously I think this caps their ceiling. With Anthony Lamb, I think their ceiling was a championship. Now it might just be like a deep semi-finals run, something like that unless they go and do something special. So, of course, it's capped their ceiling, 
but I still think their floor is in a, like a fairly decent place. So if we just think about what that would look like for this team to even get to a semifinal series, so you've got this four-game stretch, whether it's win two games, whether it's win three, whatever it may be, it's going yeah. to be a challenge to get there. And then you probably finish the season in sixth, most likely, and then you've got one playing game, a second playing game, both of those are going to be on the road, and then you get to a semifinal series. So let's just say this, if they lose Anthony Lamb, and they go through that gauntlet, and they find themselves in a semi-final series, it is just an incredible run in front of them, and I'm sure Modi Mayor is excited for that challenge to come. Let, let me say this, that if there's one team that is the most used to going on the road and having to play games, yeah. probably the New Zealand Breakers. They're, they are the one team that will see this as the most non-foreign thing in the world. This is the norm for them. So maybe it's maybe they have an advantage to that extent. By the same token, you you brought it up before. I, I'm not sure how well this team has performed on the second night of what we, what we would call back-to-backs, where they have to play. It's yeah. usually like a Friday game in the evening, and then they have to travel somewhere for an afternoon game. So it's yeah. like a less than 48-hour turnaround with a lot of travel because you're coming from New Zealand, whether it's Auckland or one of the, the little villages that they play in sometimes. Like, you're doing a lot of travel. So... I, there's there's an argument for both sides. I have I do not subscribe to one. I am agnostic on it. It's interesting. I wrote about it in headline or storyline this week. The column with yourself, me, and Peter Hooley as well. And I I said uh, I think that Brisbane might stumble their way into the top six. But I also said I probably would prefer to watch New Zealand. Like I, I find the team entertaining to watch. I I do kind of uh, you know hope that they can put themselves in the position that at least we get to the final weekend and they're right in the mix and we've got win or go home basketball. That would be the absolute perfect result there. I just quickly on Perth. I don't know if we have to have a big conversation on the Perth Wildcats, but a couple of things we discussed last week was, is there someone that could really help this team if Bryce Cotton is not at his absolute best? And there was a couple of things that happened in this game. And the first one was Hiram Harris picking up early foul trouble and being taken off the floor. And we talk about the evolution of this team. That was so important. And from there, frustration started to build, whether it was Bryce Cotton with some of the physicality, whether it was just the home crowd, uh, whether it was Ty Webster, who also then found himself in foul trouble a little bit later in the game. So just a couple of the real key players were sort of taken out of the mix. And ultimately, I just thought the Perth Wildcats, this team that's actually been really steady over the last few months, they just seemed completely out of sorts. And they found no way to score against this team. I mean, the offense was was doing nothing for almost three quarters in this game. Yeah, uh, it's it's very funny. I spoke with uh, Hiram Harris last week, so prior to this game. And one of the things he mentioned was that he has chats with Jesse Wagstaff. And one of the, the themes of late has been stay in games. Uh, make sure you don't foul out. I've, I've yeah. picked up this habit of, get, of getting fouls early. And then, of course, I'd sit down, tune into... Yeah. Wildcats breakers, Hiram Harris has three fouls in the first quarter. And well, and that and we can't underestimate what that does for this team because the incorporation of Hiram Harris and Jesse Wagstaff in a significant way was a big part of the turnaround of this team because it's the thing that got Bryce Cotton going. And so it's not surprising that of course the breakers came out with their defensive schemes on Bryce and it looked somewhat similar to what the Illawarra Hawks did where you love you you basically send bodies at him. You, get the ball out of his hands and they also targeted him on the other end of the floor and so they made Bryce Cotton work a lot that is made even more difficult when someone like Hiram Harris isn't on the floor Jesse Wagstaff I thought had a really good game but not having Harris to be that connected to be the guy that gets Bryce the ball was really difficult and so that then brings up the question I know some people are talking about this if you're able to quote-unquote shut down Bryce if you're able to contain him in some capacity then what 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 do the Wildcats do next? Like what it, what is like the what is their circuit breaker? What is the thing that they go to? Because Ty Webster has shown flashes of being really solid this season, but is, is he reliable enough to be that? Is Jordan Usher reliable to be that? I'm not entirely sure they all are. Is it supposed is this Keanu Pinder's role to step up in a big way there? If Bryce Cotton is contained to any extent, I don't know which direction the Wildcats turn. It was interesting because we mentioned those guys. So Hiram Harris, he only ends up playing four minutes in this game. He had four fouls and it was just a non-factor. It's just the, the way it panned out. You know, Ty Webster, I think, in a perfect world would play more than 18 minutes in this game, and probably for some of that offense, but he was kind of taken out of the game. He had four fouls as well. 
And then you had three guys, whether it was Doolittle, Cotton, or Pinder, that all played 38-plus minutes. And I did like, because we discussed it on this podcast, who, who's the second guy? Every team that's yeah. kind of in the mix have got a second guy. It should, in theory, be Pinder. I thought he took yeah. some steps in this game, and I like the fact that he took 19 shots. He probably missed some that he would lose some sleep over because they're just not attempts that he would usually miss. But I did think that when they desperately needed some offense, and it wasn't necessarily Bryce in this game, at least we saw Keanu Pinder trying to be aggressive and take over the game offensively because I think ultimately they're going to need him to do that in the postseason. I agree. Can I bring something up with you? Um, well, I mean, I, and, I could say no, but carry on. Oh, no, it's just it's just absolutely the time and place. The, there was like a lot of discourse coming out of Perth about officiating, right? And I, I feel like you could see the, the frustration. It happened like... It looked visceral during the game, too. It, it, it seemed like they were thinking about it. Um, without looking at the box score, I know you may have it in front of you. Don't look at it. How many fouls do you think Bryce Cotton drew in that game against the New Zealand Breakers? Uh, I, I actually I don't recall off the top of my head whether he was getting fouled a lot, but uh, let's say five or six. Okay. And so, and then, the do you know Parker Jackson Cartwright? How many fouls he drew? No, because but I know. Because there was... There was this this discourse that Parker Jackson Cartwright is is flopping and flailing around and getting all these foul calls, and Bryce Cotton wasn't getting the same calls. Bryce Cotton drew nine fouls in that game, which is above his average, right? Parker Jackson Cartwright drew four fouls, and so the the discourse around this somewhat annoys me. And it's like obviously it largely comes from Wildcats fans who want Bryce Cotton to get all the calls imaginable. But he got the calls. Um, and all I would say is like I would implore Bryce Cotton and this team to just stop talking about the officiating. I don't know if it's gesturing going into the playoffs, which it very well could be. But making this like priority number one when it comes to the discourse about the way you're playing basketball right now and like clearly showing like amount of an amount of frustration out there when you're not getting calls. Like, just go and play the game. Don't be a foul merchant. Don't try to draw fouls because you're you're annoyed that you're not getting foul calls recently. You you demonstrably are getting foul calls and just go play basketball. Like, this is what we want to see. It, it it was something that frustrated me because like, the numbers just don't back up the discourse that we've been hearing over the past week. So, Brass Cotton leads the NBL in free throw attempts per game. And Parker Jackson Carwright is at around 5.5 per game. So, Brass Cotton's up at 8.2. So... The idea that Bryce Cotton would get more foul calls than Parker Jackson Carwright is kind of just what we've come to expect. And, and honestly, I think that it lines up. There was the foul uh, off the ball where there was a little bit of push and shove. There was a foul. And, and I yeah. actually, watching the game live, I understand why Jesse Wagstaff was like, hey, hey, don't do that to Bryce. And I understand why Bryce was annoyed about it because yeah. that, was, that wasn't a basketball. He, he was, he stuck his... Jack Heverin used the word the booty foul. He stuck out the booty. <laughs> he stuck out the booty and 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 took him out. So that's a foul. And, sure, and the, but the bumping of a cutter or the tagging of a roller is commonplace. It is. Just because he did it with his booty and just because it was maybe a bit... had more impact than perhaps other tags of rollers and tags of cutters have, I don't think it warranted... The reaction. Now, I thought Jesse Wagstaff was just trying to rev up his team, right? Yeah. And he has, I think he has every right. I think he should have. I think that was the right decision from him. But if you told Jesse Wagstaff, hey, we're going to remove this from the game, I don't think Jesse Wagstaff would be like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Let's do that. Because he is the, the, that is, that is his bread and butter. That is what he does the best. I agree. But uh, I guess the point that I was trying to get to eventually, I was slow Sorry. walking it. No, 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 because I think you're right. The point that I think I was eventually going to get to here is that I think you hit the nail on the head. The Perth Wildcats fans and the reaction that we see online and how vocal they are and how loud they are makes all this seem like it's more dramatic than it really is because I always hear this Perth Wildcats fans are complaining, Perth Wildcats fans are sulks, all this. But I actually just think they're the most visible fan base in the league by an absolute country mile. So we just don't hear it from any other team because I think Tassie fans are very vocal. The smaller fan base, I would say. Melbourne United fans, I don't know. I don't hear too much from them. 
But we do hear Dean Vickerman talking about foul calls and defense on Chris Golding. With the Sydney Kings, we've heard it over the years, particularly the last couple of years that there was complaining about foul calls and the way games were officiated. So the only counter I would have to all this is that we always get this uh, reputation that the Wildcats fans are, are complaining all the time more than anyone else. I would just argue, argue that they're more vocal and we, we, they're more present than the other fan bases, which I find it hard to knock them for that. I applaud it. Let's get some more fan bases annoying everyone as much as the Wildcats fans do. <laughs> I, I agree they're, they're obviously more visible, right? Yeah. And it's, because, it's probably because there's a lot of them. And so yeah. a lot of them happen to be online. They, they happen to have platforms, which is great. I just think that making the officiating discourse at the top of your list and it clearly was. It was like it was the it was the new story. It was, it was like what led the the coverage for like the entire week going into this game against the Breakers. I just think that's just not the. It's not. I, my the, my opinion is I don't think it's the direction the team or a fan base should go because I don't think there's that much validity to it. That's like my big thing there. And also it's just like it's just not helpful. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to lead to any sort of like material change. Overall, I think, as we uh, pointed to at the top there, I think the frustration started early with Hiram Harrison, probably carried through a pretty tough day uh, for the Wildcats there. They're still in a good spot for the postseason, no question. So I'm not too worried there, but we've said all along that there are some question marks with that team. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. The Illawarra Hawks, though, and I've said it four or five times over this last two-month stretch, that I just didn't think that they would have time to win enough games and put themselves in a position where they can make the top six to play in. We also pointed to the last four-game stretch as a big reason why it was going to be really, really difficult for them to get there. Now, all of a sudden by virtue of just simply being more consistent than other teams, they are just—they're just reliable. I didn't think they were very good in this game against Brisbane. I didn't think it was a good game to watch. But they were just able to eke out this win, which is what other teams have stumbled all over themselves for weeks on weeks. Now they get to this four-game stretch. But they're in fourth in the ladder. And there was only three teams in this whole entire damn league that are above 500. It's crazy, old, And that, more than anything, is a scenario that I just couldn't have pitched. How can you only have three teams with a winning record right now with two rounds to play? I know. I'm uh, I'm trying to find receipts right now. We I think I found the receipts. How long ago was it when the Hawks started to look kind of good that you said that there's no chance they make the, the play-in? Mate, I said it six times, and I didn't say it just once. I said it two weeks, <laughs> then two weeks, then two weeks, and two weeks. That's what I'm saying. I, I, it, okay, I, just... I don't need receipts then. Okay, you've uh, no. he admits it. Great. Yeah. Um, so there was always something about this team, and it was always like it was the – it was just a steep hill, right? That's all it was. I think yes. we saw that, like, this team, there is talent here. Okay, they, they've come together a bit better. Like, there's a, there's better flow. There's better rhythm here. They're guarding way better. They're, all the signs are pointing to it. This is probably, like, a plenty in quality team, but it was just the, the up, uphill climb. Justin Tatum has gone 10-5. and five. No, I don't know how many did. I want to say only Melbourne and maybe Perth started the season 10-5. and five. I don't know how many teams have gone on a 10-5 and five stretch over a 15-game period. That is, like, an incredible run. And they deserve all the credit in the world. That win over Brisbane, not only did they get the win, but they managed to, to bump up their percentage at the end of it, too. Um, I think Gary Clark is a real damn player. Uh, it, I said, uh, I was frustrated. I said this at the very start, in the preseason, I said Gary Clark is going to be one of the best players in the league. And it took him a while to find his footing. 
right? It took him a while to to turn into one of those, like, those four men who were just dominant in the post and practically unstoppable. But him finding his three-point shot has changed everything. Him being unstoppable in the post and then basically Justin Tatum making the directive of, yeah, let's throw it into him. Let's throw it into Sam Froling and let's work inside out. All that has changed this team in a significant way. I like the way they use Dave Hickey basically as like a, like a, you go on, you be a point of attack guy for a moment, and then you come up. Everyone has a role that they played to perfection. I still think they should they they should implement Jung Jung Lee's skill set a bit more. Like they've done it more than Jacomas did, but I think they have to bump that up. I have a concern though, as well as they're playing, and as well as Gary Clark is looking, and as well as Tyler Harvey's doing a better job of finding his spots. Their run home is more concerning to me than New Zealand's run home. Ah, the which, old, which... old four-game run home that I also flagged when I was so far I'm looking like I was going to be very, very wrong. But I said, look at the last four games. We've reached where we thought we were. Now, I didn't think they'd yes. be 12 and 12. I thought maybe they'd be 11 I and agree. 13, maybe 10 and 14. And then you're really thinking, look, it's a little, little bit late for this team. But they're 12 and 12. So they've given themselves... A significant chance and maybe this is a bigger tease than the Hawks fans want because it's about to get very very challenging <laughs> yes um and I agree with you that I didn't think they would have climbed the hill to the point where they have where they can go into this four-run home and it doesn't look as daunting anymore yep. not just because their record is reasonable to look at but also because they play good basketball they don't necessarily go into these games as the the underdog anymore. They yep. the, they would be the favorite in some of these games. What concerns me is this week is concerning to me because they go to New Zealand. Granted, New Zealand won't have Anthony Lamb, but New Zealand is a team that is finding themselves. <laughs> it's in New Zealand, and so this is a road game. It's a really important win for both teams. So both teams are playing for something. Maybe New Zealand has more urgency. That may well, that may well be the case. And then they have that quick turnaround as well. They have to jump on a flight get to Sydney for a game on Sunday against the Kings who based on recent history, um, they were heaps good. And then they were uh, shit. And then they were really good again. And then they were bad. And now it's probably time for them to be really good again. Right. Mm. If, if we're going maybe this, like this ebb and flow, which looks like one game on one game off, they're about to get the absolute 2016 Golden State Warriors <laughs> of the Sydney Kings right now. Yeah. Um, so that concerns me. I, I think as much as much as I really love what the Hawks have done and I love the turnaround and it deserves a ton of praise, Justin Tatum deserves praise for it, I think there's a considerable chance they go 0-2 this week. Let me get this straight. Yeah. So old mate Olgan sits down, scrolling on his little Samsung probably phone that he's got, and I have an Apple iPhone, thank you very much. Oh, we love it. And uh, he's going, I'm looking for the receipts. It's proved Kane that he was wrong. And then ultimately, after trying to flex on me at the start of that piece, he gets to the end of his rant and he goes, you know what, actually, I think they're in a fair bit of trouble, which would ultimately mean that Olgan thinks there's a significant chance that old Pittman is going to be right after all. <laughs> so tell me, do you tell me then? Yeah. And I... So in New so they're on home four games left in New Zealand. Yes, and then they have to go to Sydney for a quick turnaround. And then they have Perth at home. They've been they've looked good against Perth. They've been one of the teams that's been able to contain Bryce Cotton to an extent. Yeah, Perth at home, and then they go to Melbourne for a game that could be funky. We don't know. Are they favoured to win any of those games? Based on what we've seen of late, that's that's just put it there that they should be favoured against the Sydney Kings, even though it's in Sydney, the Kings haven't been a dominant team at home. They just haven't. I I agree with you. They're as volatile as any team. Yeah. I don't know what to expect. I kind of feel like I at least know what to expect from Illawarra, but it's the second game of back-to-backs. But I think they should be favorites there. I'm curious to know, again, the response from New Zealand now, first game out from Anthony Lamb. So I I think that's a 50-50 if the Hawks go into that game feeling strong. So... Yeah, I agree with you. Bare minimum, they they want to get one of these games. But this is where it gets so interesting because we've already discussed New Zealand-Brisbane. Now you've got New Zealand-Illawarra. Sydney and Illawarra, those games are always spicy as it is. So it does feel like these teams in the mix are all playing each other, which which uh, that's a perfect result. That's exactly what we want. But yeah, no doubt. The Hawks would have known coming into the game against Brisbane, whatever you do, 
you just simply cannot afford to slip up here at home because we know what's coming. So, the, so they would have had this ironed out. They would have had this down. And again, I just asked the question, why did they play three games in November or whatever ridiculous number it was? Because that's what set them up here mm-hmm. for the four games in the last two weeks with the season on the line. Yeah, it's... The, the most interesting thing about this season is I, I think back to some games and some moments that if one little thing changed or a team was locked in for two minutes more, we're in a completely different situation. So like I'm looking back. I was at the game between Illawarra and Sydney on Christmas Day. And that that Sydney had a 20-point lead at one point. Yeah. Uh, there was some weird officiating in the second quarter that went against Sydney and they collapsed. And Illawarra brought it back to, I think it was a one-possession game at the end of the half. And then they managed to somehow go and get that win. That's just a win that Sydney would love to have had in their pocket. And then I think back to one of the first games of the season. Might have been like in round two, where Brisbane went to New Zealand. And it was a full-strength New Zealand. And they beat the Breakers. And I'm thinking, right now, with the Brisbane and... With Brisbane and New Zealand basically fighting for the same spot in the plan, that just would have been... Brisbane is thinking, what an absolutely... what That's a hell of a valuable win to have in our pocket. New Zealand's probably thinking, we were full health at home. That would have been a nice, like, scheduled win to just put away. All of this stuff, I'm thinking about Illawarra in Tasmania, that, like, double overtime game that came down to some weird calls at the end. That's such a nice win for them to have had. All this stuff is... is we don't think about it at the time. Like even the even Sydney's loss to Southeast, mm-hmm. that was a scheduled win for Sydney. Uh, and at the time, it was just like it looked like in a vacuum. Yeah, Sydney, everything's falling apart. That is a terrible performance by them, but just would have been a really, really healthy, valuable win just to have. Like, and I think that we, I think we we get this thing where teams should learn from this. Teams should learn that urgency matters. I think that's why Dean Vickerman, I, he, there's, there was like a sense with Dean Vickerman this season that he wanted to absolutely nail the first half of the season where they had all these home games because he wanted to pocket as many wins as he could because he didn't want to be in the same position as last season where it was literally one jump shot. That was the difference between them making the play and not. I think next season we're going to see even more urgency from these teams to treat every win, to treat every game from the game one of the regular season to game 28 like it's a playoff game because that is practically what they are that last game or the game early in the season against brisbane where they just lose at home that was their last game before new zealand went over to the u.s as well and then we know you know historically teams take a while to get going they had a really brutal injury run they also lost games at home in that stretch when they got home they lost to Adelaide by double digits and we're talking to cj bruton adelaide 36ers that weren't winning many games no dj vasiljevic it, that was just a yeah. team that was really, really struggling. That's all I mean by that comment. And then uh, they also lost to the Illawarra Hawks, 69-65. to 65. That was the first Justin Tatum game when the Hawks yeah. then started to make their run. So you're right. All these teams are going to look. And this is why this NBL season has been so wild. And this is why there's only three teams that have a winning record right now because teams have been throwing up all over themselves all season long. It's just the facts. And that's why we've asked ourselves, is this a really good, high-quality NBL season? Or do we have a bunch of teams that, that can't be trusted? We said that halfway through the season. And I don't necessarily think that we've got the answer, but I do think that it makes for what I think is going to be a really entertaining postseason. And it really starts now because all these games are really going to matter. And I think ultimately that's what makes the back end of the season pretty entertaining. Uh, Tassie and Cairns, and look, the Cairns side bands are disappointing. But the Tassie Jack Jumpers, a conversation we had over that stretch where they lost you mentioned before what teams had gone 10 and 5 i think the jackies probably were around that mark they probably went 10 and 5 to start the season because then we remember they lost six of eight uh, but they were all close losses and they weren't getting blown out and as you were prodding me where's the panic meter are you starting to jump off the jackie train are you concerned (laughs) i just said i don't know what this is going to look like but let's see if they can correct this because, yes, they're losing a bunch of close games, but everything I'm seeing on the floor and every number I look at as a little stats nerd tells me that this team is still really good even though they're not winning. So they, they're okay. They just need some minor adjustments and this thing should turn around. And it has. Yeah, I I never panicked with Tazzy. I was always reticent to jump on the yeah, cool. Tazzy can win a title train because I always needed to see more. 
Like, the start of the season, they were an elite offensive team. But their defense was real bad. And then Will Magna came into the lineup, changed everything. And we, we, we're seeing that now, just the impact he has on both ends, but especially defensively. So it's like, okay, they now have one, like maybe a top three defense with Magna in the lineup. And then offensively, that I think they took like a slight hit. I think Milton Doyle went back home because of his, his family situation, came back, took a while for him to get back into the flow of things. It now looks like he is back in the flow of things. And all of a sudden, Tasmania is the number one offense in the league and the top three defense. And over this last stretch, a top probably a top two defense. And so they're a team that I trust them. So when it comes to championship contenders, I still have Melbourne at the top from a trust perspective. I, again, I, uh, the thing that I go to every, se- every every NBL season thinking is if you have really good top-end talent, if you have depth and you can guard, then I... Okay. I can see you as a championship contender, right? Those are the three things. If you're elite at those three things, I think Melbourne obviously has those things. I think when it comes to my criteria, I think Tasmania is next when it comes to having those three things. And then I think it's Perth. At this point, based on the way that these teams are playing and basically the, the holistically over the course of the season, I think Tasmania is probably the, the would be my second favorite to win it all because I think they they tick every box when it comes to winning a championship. And a big part of that is Jack McVeigh's leap where he's not just really good role player. He looks like on any given night, he could be their, he could be their best player on any given night. And I think that changes a lot for this team. It hasn't been a meteoric rise for Jack McVeigh either. Sometimes we see players and we say, okay, well, this might be a most improved season because it's come out of nowhere and this is a big leap from last year. This is the third year. He's been slowly yeah. chipping away and he's got better and better and better and better. And I think the thing that that makes him really challenging offensively is that he does it in, in really unorthodox ways. We know the shots that he can make. He can stand out on the wing and he can knock down a catch and shoot three for sure. But he also is able to to get his own. And and I think if you're talking to me, why would you feel better about Tassie than Perth? I have all season. So uh, I, I, could, I could go on for a well, while. Congrats, congrats, bro. Well done. Well, you tried to take me down earlier. So I've got to get my confidence back up. My confidence is I down. I've got to bring it back up. And I know. It, it goes back to the conversation we had about the Perth Wildcats. So Bryce is the best player out of either yeah. team. No problem. Cool with that. But who's the second or third guy? The pecking order is very, very clear with Tasmania. They've got three guys, and you know who they are. And it starts yeah. with Doyle, then it goes to Crawford. And if McVeigh is your third option, then you're in business offensively. Yeah, I I agree with you. Um, and then Magne is the swing guy. Because Magne, the, the efficiency in which Magne is able to produce for that team is unbelievable. Um, he, could, he can give you 12 and 10 in 15 minutes. Right and three blocks, and he will. Uh, the the amount of shots that he just deters at the rim as well is incredible. And so uh, they're a team that I think is real. Like even someone like Sean McDonald, coming off the bench of that team, he is unbelievably reliable. I I just think they have all these pieces, and like I I don't. I think there's just such a good argument that outside of Melbourne. They should be the team that should be considered the the next favorite to win it all. When it comes to, and I think it's because their floor is so high, and and I their floor is high, so I think that they're trustworthy that they can compete. But now I'm getting a better sense of what their ceiling is. I feel like I have a lot more trust in their ceiling because they've been able to sustain this offense over the course of the season, and they've shown how good they can be defensively. And the Sydney Kings, just quickly here, so 12 and 14, two games to play. Illawarra Hawks, as we already mentioned. Now, you know, I've said, I think I think it's a 50-50. I think the Hawks could probably go into that game feeling like they should be the favorites. Yep. If the Kings don't win that game, they're in peril. And they come to Melbourne to face the South East Melbourne Phoenix. Now, if we sit here and say that you think 13 or 15 might be enough and percentage will come into it, Brisbane, the team, really... Uh, out of the mix when it comes to percentage. They've got a, a lowly percentage there. Sydney's doing okay. They're 101, so they've actually got the best percentage out of Illawarra, Brisbane, New Zealand, 
those teams that are in the mix here. One of these teams is going to miss out. That's it. If the Illawarra Hawks win this week and the Sydney Kings have got that game next week at John Kane Arena, that's going to be very scary. Uh, I know you've spent a fair bit of time around the Kings over the last you know, couple of months. What is the level of frustration or unrest around that camp right now? Because to be 12 and 14, well, I know that, that I mean, it's been months now that this team has been up and down and impossible to read. Uh, but I, I assumed or I thought at some point it might turn. It just looks like this team is is not having a great time at the moment. Yeah, the the frustration is real, and for it happens for a lot of teams. You string losses together, yeah. frustration sets in, um, and it's also just a frustration on. It's, it's frustration from Mahmoud Abdel Fattah's perspective on him trying so many things, and and they just don't seem to be working. Um, and then from the players' perspective, it's. There's always a frustration of like, okay, is, is what we're doing right? And it's it's also just purely, we have this talent. Why the hell isn't this working? It is. Um, and so it, go, it goes deeper than just, and, and we know this, it goes deeper than just having talent. Like we, we're, we're aware of this. Um, but they're in a situation where I think they're slowly coming to terms with the fact that they can't act like they're that team anymore. Like they can't go into games thinking that we are this uber talented team and we're the favorites coming into it and that's what we are. we're gonna like play with our chests out. They know that uh, the feeling I get is that that they now know that they have to grind for this stuff. So they well, know that just oh, they know that just being talented isn't it. We're twenty six games into a twenty eight game season. That's damn right. It, they if they want to realize it, it better come pretty damn quickly. I mean, better late than never. Yeah, um, granted, I was told this a few games ago, and we again we've seen just like the the peaks and valleys with this team. Their peak is incredible. Their valleys are horrific, as in their valley lost to Southeast Melbourne, a, a team that is like effectively. I'm not sure that Southeast Melbourne team. Let's take Mitch Creek out, even with Mitch Creek in it. I, there are NBL one teams that would beat that team very sincerely. Shit. Uh, and so for your valley to be a loss to that team. That's not a good place, but their peak is so high. But I think they know that that doesn't matter. Just because they can go and beat Melbourne United on a given night, that doesn't actually mean anything. That doesn't that doesn't mean anything with when like we're defining what they are. And so I think they've come to I think as a playing group they've sort of come to this realization that we have to go into games realizing that we have to fight for this. We're not just going to walk into this because we can't just flick a switch. Like as talented as we are as a team, we're not that good. We have to fight to play up to our talent. The Cairns type bands, they're 11 and 15. Uh, percentage down to 97. So you know, 13 and 15 with, at this stage, a poor percentage unless they go absolutely berserk in the last two games. It seems like they're going to be in a difficult position. So essentially, Illawarra, Sydney, Brisbane, New Zealand, those teams battling, one of them is going to miss out. And I, I'm curious, I, I hope we don't know next week. I hope we've got a whole bunch of scenarios that we can break down on the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour, but uh, intriguing to say the least. And uh, I am glad, you know, this playing tournament, it, it would have been close anyway. There still would have been a few teams battling in the mix and there would have been scenarios, even if it was only a top four, but this has certainly extended it uh, a little bit further here. And uh, it should take us through to the last round. So it's been pretty fun. A couple of things we got coming up this week. I was, I thought we should touch on quickly before we wrap up today's show. Uh, NBA trade deadline, as I said, who knows? This is the kind of thing that I don't yeah. know how deep you get into it because things could happen any second by the time people are listening to this podcast. Well, I, I look, we discussed it on Nothing But Net, the uh, Wednesday morning pregame show. I think it's a fascinating deadline for the Australians. And you can talk about yes. Josh Green, talk about Jock Landau, Patty Mills. People want to bring up Josh Giddy. I don't, I don't see anything there. But I, I, I would be surprised. And it feels like those guys, something, something's going to happen. It's going to be interesting to see what actually goes down in the next few days. I mean, we've already seen the Kiwi get moved. That's it. So Stephen Adams head over to over to Houston. Whether that's the catalyst for Landau being moved, right, or something like that, we'll see. Um, I agree with you. I don't think Giddy gets traded at least now. Uh, I think is a more palatable, just objectively, a more palatable contract after he signs an extension. I think that's just an easier thing to move. And I think the Thunder are playing well enough that 
they should see what they have now. It's yep. probably not great because I don't think you can, you can't trade for experience if that makes sense. As in this group needs to go through a playoff mm. series before really figuring out what they are. Um, you're not just going to go and trade for an experienced guy and then that'll be the difference between a championship and not this season. I think the championship ceiling is capped because SGA has never been in a, series, in a playoff series and because Chet has never been in a playoff series. They need to go through that lump first. Um, as Josh Green guy. is the interest- I think SGA maybe yeah. played with the Clippers, did he? But as, as the main guy, to, oh, true, true. to, to, your, exactly. to your point, that's, that's fine. Uh, the one other thing I've said on this podcast uh, a couple of times when we discussed it, uh, last year, the playing game, Giddy was the best player. For OKC, yeah. so it's a one-game track record. So I'm not saying you take that to the bank, but to your point, I also think this team should write it out. They can make moves, but I think with this this core young group, they go through and see what you got and see if you can do something special and make a run and and learn some lessons. Yeah, the Josh Green is the interesting one to me um, because the I don't think the Mavs want to trade him, but they want to make a trade for someone, and every other team that wants to trade. To trade for to trade with the Mavericks wants Josh Green. Uh, it seems like he may end up just being the sticking point. Uh, and if he gets moved, it'll he will be the sort of the headliner for the Mavericks in order to go and get a piece. Uh, but I don't. I think that's like that's the one I'm looking at closely. He is he has a really team friendly contract. He's playing really good basketball these days. He's still just 21, 22 years old. He's still super young. That is a really... Josh Green is a super valuable NBA player these days, both as a basketball player and contractually. Whether the Mavericks sort of fold and say, fine, we'll put him in, because it seems like every team wants Josh Green included in a deal, we will see. But that's the one that I think I'm watching the closest. Yeah, if he's included in a trade, it would probably be a something that is actually a needle mover for the Mavericks where you have to attach an asset, because otherwise it doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. They probably realize at this point in time that, again, they're only just over 500. Uh, they've been disappointing. And they haven't been able to get the continuity on the court with Kyrie Irving. So, yeah, the Mavs are team to watch. It feels like they're going to do something. It's just whether it's a big splash or just something to work around the edges and hope they get healthy and and can stay on the floor. So the Mavs will be a team to watch. Uh, just quickly, with Jock Landau's contract, we've mentioned this a number of times. Jock spoke about it himself. Uh, <laughs> if you didn't check it out, 25-minute chat with Jock uh, a week or so ago. And where he sort of outlined the situation in Houston, some of the frustrations and mental battles. You can catch that on the ESPN Australia YouTube page if you haven't yet. Particularly at this time of year with the situation he's in, I thought thought he was open as he always is. Oh, do you know that? So Landau, non-guaranteed after this year. So that makes that interesting, particularly with the fact that they would be expecting or hoping, in theory, that Stephen Adams uh, is a backup five, possibly next season if he gets healthy. And we want to see the big Kiwi uh, on the floor as well. But Jock's proven himself an NBA player, so I, I kind of just want to see him on the floor and getting an it opportunity is. towards the back end of the season. So we'll see what happens there. The Opals is a massive few days. They're not yeah. in the Olympics. And I, I speak to people, and it's almost forgotten that that's the case, that they haven't punched their ticket. Everyone just gets used to the Opals being there and being one of the better teams and being in medal contention. But they haven't got a ticket to the Olympics just yet. You can watch all the qualifiers on ESPN. Starts Friday morning, 10 a.m., Brazil and Australia. Uh, then Sunday morning, 7 a.m. you got nothing better to do on Sunday morning. Uh, Australia <laughs> versus Germany. And then they'll play Serbia Monday morning, 7 a.m. And that's probably that's some pre-Super Bowl on ESPN action as well. So, look, you're probably already having the sickie. Isn't that what ESPN's promoting the sickie? So you've all obviously taken the sickie <laughs> on Monday. You can watch the Opals into uh, the Super Bowl there as well. They need to finish in the top three in that group at a Brazil, Germany, Serbia. Yeah, one game might be enough to get them to the Olympics. Uh, Don't lose all three. That's basically the scenario here. But it's going to be challenging Friday morning against the the home team, Brazil. So maybe some nervous nights coming up here for the Opals, but we hope uh, they can punch their ticket, get to Paris along with the Boomers. Opals, uh, I think they should be favoured to win these games. But that's that's still tough though. Like obviously everyone is playing for like the ultimate prize, um, and these aren't like nothing countries. Every like everyone yeah. is in these these qualifying tournaments for a reason. Um, I'm excited because the team is Australia's team is really solid. Yeah. Oh, like obviously like Lauren Jackson, whether she'll be the focal point or not, whatever. But obviously any team with Lauren Jackson, like I will I will watch that game. But even like Ezie Magbagor is elite. Like an elite player, I think Jade Melbourne 
He's had a, a very, very good WNBL season. So all of this stuff, this it's a really quality team. Australia should be should be favoured to win it all. However, should be tough. There's a lot on the line. So I will be tuned in. Yeah. Worst case scenario, look, if you find yourself in a bit of trouble in that game against the against uh, Brazil on Friday morning, just uh, put LJ out there and just say, look, we weren't planning on playing you 30 minutes tonight, but we need to get to the <laughs> damn Olympics. Any chance you can drop 30 like you did at the World Cup in Sydney a couple of years ago. But the Opals, we wish them luck. We're all going to be watching that. Uh, again, you can watch that on ESPN. Let's wrap it up, folks. Uh, next Wednesday, as I said, it's going to be curious to see where we're at in terms of uh, the scenarios, the results, and who's still in the mix. But uh, what games are you going to be at? Are you going to any games this weekend? Uh, I'll probably be at the uh, the Sunday game, which I think is uh, oh god, what Sunday is that? United New Zealand, oh. yeah, United Breakers. So I'll be out at that one. I don't know if I'll be at the Southeast Tassie game because I might have to be in the studio, but I I will be at where we're very lucky in Melbourne now. We have that stretch over Christmas yeah. where we get no games, but now we've got we had games last weekend. We have back to back games this weekend, and we have back to back games next weekend as well. So we get to finish the season being able to go to a whole bunch of games. Uh, but I think I'm really looking forward to Friday because New Zealand-Illawarra, that that game will tell us a lot about the future of those two teams. And then Brisbane-Adelaide. I think if Brisbane wins, they keep their season alive. I think if they lose, I think I don't see a pathway for them. Right. And if they beat Adelaide, then I think that would officially mathematically rule Adelaide out. So that game is in Brisbane. Adelaide is technically still not out. There is still a pathway. I think it's very unrealistic in the same way that Kansas is unrealistic. But on Friday, we'll have two games, and I think it will. we will learn a lot from them. It'll it'll set up a lot for, uh, for the remainder of the season. Even if I wanted to, there's just no physical way I could have set it up as well as you just did there. So let's leave it there. ESPN.com.au, ESPN. It's where you're going to get your hoops. It is your home for hoops. This has been the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour. I'm Kane Pippen. He's Olga Norwich. We'll see you next Wednesday.